about um, specifically January and June, new beginnings, restart, hitting the reset button. And so let's just turn to Matthew chapter 18. It says this, for an answer, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and he said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one, someone say square one. Okay, think about this. Unless you return to square one and start over, someone say start over. Okay, you're picking up on a theme here. It says, like children, children's, that's mine, my interpretation. You're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes, say the word becomes, Okay, think about this. Whoever becomes simple, that's a process. Becoming something is a process. Becoming simple and elemental again. It's funny to me in Christianity how we elevate the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and historical context, and we love to be ninjas with scripture. Uh, The problem is humility is what builds this thing. And oftentimes as you become more successful in the thing that God destined you to become, you will actually become more humble. And you'll find that the most successful people in this kingdom also tend to be the most childlike and the most humble. It says you must become simple and elemental again, like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. And uh, you know, I was thinking the other day about being a boy. I just had a birthday recently. And uh, once, like a white hair popped out of the side of my forehead when I woke up and it was like, welcome to manhood. You're a real man now, silver fox. (laughs) I don't know, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. but it was like <laughs> Clooney. I keep thinking I'll just get better with age and I keep getting uglier, but whatever. But anyways, um, I was thinking about being a boy and I was thinking about the things that I believed as a boy. And I don't know if this ever got out to the Northeast, but we had this thing and I heard somebody say this when I was in elementary school. They actually said, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll end up on the other side in China. Did you guys hear that? Okay, now because I'm like very intense, and I'm very goal-oriented. And in elementary school, when I heard someone say that, I realized Northwest Indiana, excuse my French, sucks. And I don't wanna be here anymore. And then I'm thinking about Super Mario, and I'm like, well, he jumps into a tube and comes out into another world. So this is like my childlike rationale. So all I've gotta do is dig a hole deep enough, and boom, I'm out, I'm in China, Master Splinter, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kung Fu, Bruce Lee, I'm in China. And everything I played with, every toy I had said made in China, so why not just go to China? So I started to dig a hole in my backyard between our garage, it was more like a shed, hashtag poor people props. You could fit a moped in there, okay? And I started to dig this hole between my house and the shed. And the, th- the dangerous thing about it was I got that sucker about seven to eight feet deep and, and didn't discover China or anything else for that matter. And it was funny because now as an adult, I realized I could have died if it collapsed on me. All the plumbers were like, no, right? Um, but I, I took literally something. And I think what it says is that what it means to be childlike And today on Father's Day, instead of talking about what it's like to be a father, I think that Jesus would talk to you about what it's like to be a child. Because see, you don't know how to be a father unless you know how to be a son or how to be a daughter. And so it's gonna be very difficult for you to receive a father if you forgot what it's like to be a child. 
There's some revelation in the atmosphere. Do you feel it? But see, what happens is this. Adulthood is marked by this transition. Anything's possible. And then it transitions to whatever I can do in my own ability is what's possible. And some of us have gotten to that place where instead of digging holes to China anymore, we've now begun to say, well, there's no more imagination. There's no more possibility. If I can do it, it'll get done. But if I can't do it, it can't be done. But see, what we begin to do when we get into these atmospheres of worship and we begin to cry out to God is we begin to get this fundamental understanding that there's one greater than us because worship by its very definition is a posture of getting down below and looking up to something greater, someone bigger than you and saying, I choose to put my affection in that direction because you are God and I am not. And then he becomes the God of wonder. Many of us have had our wonder killed through the abuse of loved ones. We've had our wonder annihilated because our finances have never made sense. We've had our wonder completely murdered by the educational systems of the world that taught us self-help is the only help you're gonna get. But see, we've got this book that tells us something different. Jesus himself says, become like a child and then you can get into this kingdom and kingdoms have a what? They have a king. Kingdoms have a king. And what he's saying is unless you become like a child, you're not, you're not even gonna get a look at this thing. And sometimes we have to suspend our disbelief for a moment and say, God, be the God of wonders in my life. You know, there's a lot of brokenness that comes into Father's Day. I actually heard someone say today, or yesterday rather, I heard them say like, can we just be done with celebrating parents? And they said, because it's getting to the point where both of these holidays are more of a tragedy than a triumph. And if you're anything like the rest of America and really the rest of the world, you've experienced a father wound even if you've had a good father. And you know, my wife, I begin to watch my wife go through that. I think Randy, her dad was one of the best Christian dads you can ever have. And yet here she is now uh, at this particular point in her life without a father. And so she's experienced the loss. I don't know what you came in with today, but I'm here to tell you this. God is close to the brokenhearted. He knows your pain. You know, this morning, uh, I woke up this morning, and I, for those of you who know me, I'm a very task-oriented person. I, I, I wake up, and I'm like, okay, we're going to debut overflow. We're going to do this, and we got this and this. And, and yet what happened was be, as I lay in bed, you know those first few moments when you wake up and, and you're still savoring that sleep that is, you know, being ripped out of your being, <laughs> right? And I, I all of a sudden became sensitive to the hurt and the pain that Julie was experiencing today as she was, as she was going through her very first Father's Day without a father. And all of a sudden I begin to brood over her and I begin to kiss her forehead and put my hand on her head as her husband and the priest of my home and begin to pray for her and say, God, I, I pray for your balm of Gilead, that healing. I pray God that you would just give her a peace that surpasses all understanding and guard my wife's mind. Guard her today, God, as she sees other people embracing their dad through service, as she goes through the pain that many of us have gone through when, when just seeing someone else has a dad becomes a reminder that you don't have one. Can, I, can somebody here just bear witness and I said I just begin to pray for my wife and I stopped everything and I said God I might be a little late for loading right now but but there's a need here my wife's brokenhearted and as I begin to get out of that bed and later on I walked out the door as I walked out the door to my apartment and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said son you become a little bit more like me today 
because I'm close to the brokenhearted and I push my agenda aside. And the thing that takes precedence is their pain because see, there's an aroma that brokenheartedness gives off and God has a keen sense to smell an instinct that begins to smell the aroma of brokenheartedness. And he says, man, the pieces, the shattered pieces of that pain that are everywhere attract me to begin to get close. And so if you're here today, whether you're here, whether you're listening to the podcast, whether you're in the overflow auditorium, whether you're watching live on Facebook, wherever you are, God is close to the brokenhearted. It's your broken heart is attractional. It's like a scent and he's a predator that comes to eradicate all of that pain. Some of you in here are like, man, God, you can't heal this pain. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my God. He made time so he can violate the rules of it. I don't know if we got any note takers, but today it's like robust with revelation. Because when God healed the wounds of my heart, my fatherless heart, my heart that was broken and suffered the wounds of fatherlessness, I had to become like a child. I went on a journey to go get in touch with my childhood again. And I went back to the places that I was hurt. I went back to the houses where it happened. And you know, I'll never forget standing on the porch of, of one of the houses. And as I begin to stand there and say, God, where were you when it happened? It was so unfair. It was so unjust. God, why didn't you stop it? How could you be a good God if I went through so much pain at this house? something happened the God who created the time that governs this universe violated the laws of it and stood in the moment of that tragedy stood in the moment of that pain and he said son I'm actually still here and I can touch and heal that place of pain from its very origin and if you give me permission because I am a gentleman I'll never I'll never do anything that you don't give me permission to do because I gave you a will but if you let me son I can go back to the day and the hour and the second that it happened and I can heal you from the origin of the pain and I believe that seven-year-old Mike Signorelli was healed and no it's it's I can't stop the fact that it happened but I'll tell you what God knows how to use scars God knows how to use scars and God is still good we preach the goodness of God at this church because he didn't do the things and he didn't even allow the things. He gave people free will. But you know what? God can redeem it. And I'll tell you what, don't ever judge a book if you only read the first chapter. Some of you guys are judging your entire life and the existence and nature of God on one chapter of your life. But I'm here to tell you, if you're not dead, you're not what? You're not what? You're not done. Let me just tell you this. Recently, I got this opportunity to, uh, to go to Daytona Beach. And I don't know if you guys remember old school MTV, but that's all I kept thinking of, Daytona Beach. And I was like, it's about to be lit. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, we don't talk like that here, guys. We don't say that. Um, but my pastor was like, yo, you've been working so hard for the last year and a half. Let's go work together in Daytona. And I was like, Pastor Dave, I feel the presence of God when you're speaking. Yes, I will come to Daytona. I will obey. I will submit my life to my spiritual authority. I will go to Florida. And uh, the, the plan was, then uh, there was a conference and stuff going down. So it was fun work. But, you know, the thing about it is my daughter, Everly, who's four years old going on 40. I don't know if you've met her yet. She's probably told you what to do at this point, she has this, uh, this, this Barbie mansion. And, you know, to a four-year-old, a Barbie mansion is a mansion mansion. 
And you know, whatever genius came out with, like if we can put plastic in this shape and sell millions of dollars, makes you feel really stupid for going to work, doesn't it? <laughs> and so my daughter was fixated on this and she was playing in her Barbie mansion and we had all of her stuff packed. And I'm like, Everly, we get to go to Daytona Beach. We get to go to Daytona and Everly, are you listening? And she's like, yes, dad. She's like, and I go, we are gonna go to Disney Springs because we don't have enough money to go to Disney World. <laughs> but Disney Springs, for all of you been to Orlando, is like the thing down the street that has the plastic princesses instead of the princesses in uh, costumes, which is good enough for a four-year-old and a ministry budget. Amen. <laughs> all right, that's it. Guys, we're done here. So... I went to, uh, so I said, we're gonna go to Disney Springs. And man, she did what all obstinate, you know, gonna lead the entire world, first female president of the United States uh, does. She screamed and cried because I was gonna just rip her away from the only thing that matters in the universe, the Barbie Playhouse, the Barbie Mansion. Now, the thing about it was we were headed to Disney and we were gonna see some better things. So we now, I ripped her from that. Then we go to the airport and then at the airport, they have those little quarter things that you can ride and she's fixated on that. Then she cries because I rip her away from that. And then all of a sudden we get on the plane and then all of a sudden, like we get off the plane and we go to Daytona and now she finds this beach and then there's other kids playing there. And then we take her away from that. She cries for that. And now we're on our way to Disney Springs. And I'm realizing that she has cried every step of the journey. And as we're in Disney Springs, we see Legoland and then we see the big things made out of Lego. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. And uh, it's incredible. And then she's like, oh my God, dad, look, ah. And she's going crazy. And then she runs there. And then I take her from Disney Springs, uh, Legoland. And then we come down and then there's this other Disney thing. And here's what I'm trying to say. As I'm walking away and I see her, the Lord spoke to me and he was like, Michael, isn't this so much how you all are? I've got vision for greater for your life and I'm on a journey, I'm not staying still, but you kick and scream and cry as I try to take you from glory to glory. I got better for you than you can ever think, question, or imagine, but you are still stuck on the Barbie mansion. You are still, and here's the thing. If I would have allowed Everly to do what she wanted to do, she'd still be in a 600 square foot apartment in Queens playing with a Barbie mansion. But see, I got her by ripping her away from the thing that she wanted most to actually get her butt all the way to Disney Springs where she was playing with the world's greatest toys. I will, Yoshi. Now, why do I say that? Maybe the boyfriend that you should break up with is your Disney dollhouse or your, uh, your Barbie dollhouse. Maybe you haven't found your mate because porn is the only thing that you're fixated on right now. and You don't have any capacity for more. It's hard to give your affection when your affection is so d dissected up that no one's gonna get an unadulterated amount of it to produce a marriage. Man, this is too bad. We might not fill the overflow up next week now, huh? But, but we want our business to be successful, but we've divided up our attention so many times that we're clutching onto the thing that we have right now that we can't move on to obtain the next thing. And I feel like what God's got for us as we learn what it's like to be childlike is to understand that it's hard to stay childlike. 
And what I mean by that is Everly's childlike, but she's only four years old and her brain has actually evolved enough in the, in the, in the first four years to stop. Already she's in the beginning phases of she's no longer childlike, now she's in control. Now she knows better than dad. Now she knows that the Barbie dollhouse is the best thing she's ever gonna get. And see, when I begin to look at this and put it under a microscope, I felt almost as if the Lord was like, it's hard to stay childlike. See, Jesus, it appeared in Matthew 18 as if he was preaching a very simple message. But as I grow older, I begin to see now the wisdom in his words. It's hard to stay childlike. You've got to go back. You've got to return. You, I mean, it's an effort to stay childlike because when that bill comes due again, you're going to revert back to being an adult. You're not going to see childlike wonder in his plan for tithes and offering. You're going to see, I got to do it my own way. I mean, childlike, it seems so simple, like it was the milk of the word, but it's the meat of the word to be childlike. It's the meat of the word to be simple. It's the meat of the word to be elemental. I mean, my mentor, Dwayne Vanderklok, has accidentally planted churches all over the world. And when I ask him, how do you live your life, Pastor Dwayne? What's your motto? He says, love God, love my wife, and never give up. That's the apex of all his understanding. He reads 50 books a year for the last 50 years. And in the apex of all his understanding is love God, love my wife, and never give up. Because he understands the meat of the word, childlike simplicity, elemental. It's not that hard, but it is hard to be elemental. And I, I think that some of you are getting recalibrated today. Let me read to you this next scripture. And I think it's so important to understand. It's 1 John chapter 1. It says this. I want to read this other translation. It says, I don't know if you can cue that up. 1 John chapter 1. But see what great love the Father has lavished. Everyone say lavish. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, if you're anything like Everly, you don't understand the word lavish. And here's what I mean by that. It seemed like, are you following me today? It seemed like, like I was tearing away the Barbie playhouse, but actually I was getting to her to something greater. So in, the, in taking something away, I was lavishing my love on her. Oh, this is too deep for somebody. Can, can you hear me? I said, in taking something away from Everly, I was actually lavishing her with love because I had a vision for greater. And can I just tell you today that maybe some of the things that God wants to remove from your life is because he's headed somewhere and we're building movements, not monuments in this place. And if you would get in the flow with what God has for you, you'd realize that you've been trifling over some piece of plastic when God's got something greater. He's trying to lavish you with his love. He lavished you with his love when he took it away. He lavished you with his love. And I didn't have the wisdom to see that because I never had a dad who loved me enough to tell me no. Let me, let me ask you a question that Pastor Joe Angelo asked last Sunday. If God always met your expectations, how could he ever exceed them? If God always met your expectations, how could he exceed them? See, God wants to be your father, but we, we all have to learn how to be sons and daughters. 
And, and that's, you can't actually have a father until you can become a son. Because he'll be there by title. He'll be there by position, but he won't be there by relationship because it won't be reciprocated. It'll be him trying to father you, but you not trying to be a son or a daughter. And there's some times where I say, God, father me. Take it all away, strip it away. Look at this scripture, he's lavishing us. And the last one we're gonna read is this. It's so good, James chapter four says, so let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil. Devil, no, not today. Wrong key. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. The God who made time will be there in no time. Oh no, your faults, your failures, your mistakes were not strong enough to stop him from accelerating your future to arrive at your destiny right on time. You don't tell the one who made time how time works. No, you didn't lose a day, you didn't lose an hour, you didn't lose a second. If you say a quiet yes, because all you got is a quiet yes, God will put you right on track and you will never miss a beat. Can you be child enough to believe it? Can you be childish enough and to say yes to God today? Yes to the God of wonders. Come on, this is just the scripture says this, quit dabbling in sin. Now, can I tell you the Bible would never ask you to quit doing something you don't have the power to stop doing if you don't accept the cross and let him do it? Jesus told a woman who was of ill repute stopped sinning. You think he was gonna tell her to do something that he wasn't gonna empower her to do? Do you know that there are sins in my life I simply do not do anymore because I've accepted the power of the cross? I am so sick and tired of this intellectualized Christianity that says, well, I'm never gonna be perfect, so I might as well stay in bondage. No, Jesus was strong enough and had the intestinal fortitude to tell people to stop. And I'm strong enough to tell you stop too, but it's not gonna be through self-help, it's gonna be through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Quit dabbling in sin, purify your inner life. This is a call to purify church. It says quit playing the field. Just like John Bevere said, break up with all your boyfriends and girlfriends because it's time to marry Jesus today. We got anyone who wants to marry him today. You know what's so beautiful about, and this John Bevere said this the other day in Manhattan, you know what's so beautiful about a bride walking down the aisle? To say yes to the groom, she's saying no to 3.5 billion men. And there's something powerful, not just about the yes, but about the no. You're gonna have to learn how to say no to a lot of things to say yes to Jesus. You're gonna have to learn how to say no to a lot of things to say yes to your destiny. Do you know, can I just tell you a side note? The day before I moved to New York the first time, cause I had a vision to plan a life-giving church here, I got offered a job that was gonna pay more than quadruple of any other ministry job I ever had with full benefits and retirement the day before. And you know what job I was gonna have? Not the lead pastor, I was gonna be the worship pastor. And they didn't even want electric worship, they wanted acoustic. So I'm like, so wait, you're telling me I have to play the guitar for 20 minutes in front of people and I'm gonna get paid that much money and retirement and benefits? They were like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, oh Lord Jesus, this is gonna be a tough one. But it wasn't a tough one because I was willing to say 
no to good for God's best. And see, the enemy of God's best is man's good. I'll give you something good. The devil will give you something good, but it's not God's best. And you got to learn how to say no, no to God, to, to, to man's best, for God's best, for God's greatest. And I'll tell you, I didn't even think twice about it until I got to New York. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> but here's the thing. The reason why I say that is it took a lot of no's for me to get here today. It's going to take a lot of you saying no to different things to get to what God's got for you. And and I believe that this scripture so poignantly says it. And let me finish reading. Can I finish reading this? We're going to close. I'm going to close in a few, okay? It says, the fun and games are over. Get serious. Get really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get up on your feet. Have you ever heard people say, well, one of these days I'm just going to get back up on my feet. The quickest way is to get down on your knees in prayer to get down on your knees before the master. And so let me tell you a secret. The secret is when you get down on your knees before God and cry out to him as master, he grabs your hand and picks you up and calls you son, calls you daughter. It sometimes starts down in that broken place. What we're gonna do now is I wanna make way for a moment because some of you are here and you're just like me where maybe you never heard your earthly father say, I love you. Maybe you've gone an entire lifetime without hearing those words. Maybe you're here and you came with that brokenness. And I think what can happen in this service that's so powerful is that you can actually become childlike. You can receive a father and it can be more real than any experience that you could ever imagine with your physical father. From birth to 100 years old, none of us are exempt from the need for a father. Jesus himself said, you're gonna see me ascend to heaven, but I'm never gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I'll be with you to the very ends of the earth. I'll be with you in that movie theater on Long Island 2,000 years from now. I'll be with you as you're watching your mother die from cancer. I'll be with you as you watch your house being taken away because you couldn't make the payment. I will be with you. I will be with you. And so for a moment, if you can suspend your disbelief and allow the God of wonders to make you aware of his presence. You can have a father. You know, we got a guy named Ross, and Ross, basically the way he was raised, he had one foot in Judaism, one foot in Catholicism. And unfortunately for him, I was his first pastor. Sorry, Ross, I don't know where he is. But um, when this church first started, you know, it was like I was discipling him and I was really trying to teach him the fundamental elements of what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and you know, oftentimes as a pastor, when stuff goes down in people's lives, they'll call me before they call the cops, which is pretty scary. I'm not even lying. I just found so-and-so cheating. I'm going to kill them. What do I do, Pastor Mike? I'm like, hang up and call the cops. This is above my pay grade, y'all. You know, I get crazy phone calls. Well, I got this message from Ross basically saying, my dad might die. He's in the hospital now. I'm going to see him. And I don't have the kind of relationship with my father I want to have. And I don't know what to do. And, and he's like, I'm reaching out to you as a pastor. What would you do? Well, I felt the quickening of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I, I sent him a message back and I typed it out because I wanted him to see it verbatim. And I said, Ross, my dad is dead. 
If I knew that my dad was on the other side of a hospital door, I would blow past every single one of the nurses and people in that facility, kick the door down off the hinges, hug my dad and tell him everything I ever wanted to tell him. Nothing would separate me. No matter how vile my dad was, and he was a bad man by anyone's uh, measure, but, but I said, I, but it doesn't matter because death has a way of giving you a perspective. And I said, Ross, that's exactly what I'll tell you to do as a pastor. You go into that place and you, and you make a moment. And see, for those of you who are hearing me right now saying this isn't about me, no, this is about you because every cycle needs a redeemer. If you're in a marriage right now that's going through a cycle, one of you has to be the redeemer. And being a redeemer isn't about wrong or right anymore. It's about making the move to say, I'm gonna forgive first. It's about saying, I'm gonna make the move, be the redeemer. And you can't say, I'm gonna pick up my cross and follow Jesus. But when it comes time to be a redeemer, drop the cross. And that's what we're called to be, be the redeemer. Man, Julie and I's marriage started getting real good when both of us started to become redeemers. You get two people being the redeemers, you might fall back in love. Where's she at? Okay, anyways, she's in the overflow room. Um, but Ross could have said, my dad wasn't all he should have been. You know, the very first, I didn't say this in first service, I wanna say it now, the very last thing that my dad ever said to me before he died is I actually made an attempt to have a relationship with him. And I reached out to him and I was calling and I was trying to do whatever I could to get to my dad because I sensed like there was a need for it, not knowing that he was actually already terminally ill. And the last sentence my dad ever told me was, let sleeping dogs lie. I don't wanna see you. So this, there's a gravity on what you're about to hear from Ross because God's here right now and he can be all sufficient in your life, more than enough. And I think sometimes we hear these kinds of messages and we think, what a cliche, what a cliche. But I'll tell you what, today before this service is over, you can open up your heart to receive God and he will suffocate you and lavish you with so much love that you will, you will become so aware. I have been in times of prayer where I have wept and wept and wept before the Lord as a, a, a literally a cloud of his presence begins to materialize around me and I'm too afraid to even open my eyes for fear of what I might see because the reality is so real. Somebody who's encountered God's presence like that in this place will tell you, affirm to you what I'm saying is true. And so I want you to think about this moment as we listen to this audio now. And I want you to just have an internal dialogue with God through this time. Hey, Mike. I just left the hospital. Uh, saw my dad. He's doing fine now. Uh, he just can't wait to get out of there. I just wanted to thank you for the words of encouragement yesterday. Reading that last line, um, you only have one dad, and while he's alive, don't let anything stop you from seeing him, not even himself. My dad is dead, and I would cook, kick a hospital door down to see him if I could right now. And those words really resonated with me. You know, I pulled up to the hospital, and I, I read that out loud to myself. I prayed to God and Jesus to um, you know, give me the words that I needed to say to connect with my dad because we don't have that great of a father-son relationship. It's more like a, a friend relationship. I kept 
I, there were so many things I wanted to say, and I just couldn't think of what to say. And I just keep thinking back to what you sent me. You know, you lost your dad prematurely. My dad lost his dad prematurely, and never got to see him. You know, uh, you know, it was time for me to leave. I, you know, I have to go back to work now. And um, you know, I, I left, and I walked out of the, the room, and I said, "All right, I'll see you later." said, all right, I'll see you later, man. And I walked out, and I, I turned around, and I went back into the room. He said, he was like, oh, would you forget how to get out of here? I said, no, I know. I came back because I just want to let you know that I care a lot about you, and you're really important to me, and I love you. And he looked up at me, and for the first time, that I can remember. He said, I love you too, Ross. And I literally can't remember another time in my adult life where my dad said that he loved me. And, um, you know, I thanked God for that. And I just wanted to thank you because if it wasn't for you, I don't know if it would have turned out that way. I believe right now in this moment that the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you to you. I believe right here in the stillness of this moment that God is telling you those words, I love you. You know, I think this image of Ross being on the other side of that hospital room struggling, what do I do? I see many of you on the other side of the door right now saying, what do I do? Because a person on the other side of that door, my father, my heavenly father, I have so many reasons to be mad at him. I have so many reasons to blame him for the things that happened in my past. But I'm gonna ask you a very bold thing right now. I'm gonna ask you the same thing I asked Ross. I'm gonna ask you to step on through the other side of that door to be the redeemer, be the one who says, I'm willing to lay it all aside and to say, God, somehow in all this brokenness, I'm gonna push aside the childish things to become childlike. I'm gonna stop trying to dig holes to China. I'm gonna stop trying to go through this convoluted idea of what life could and should be, but I am actually surrender now to you and let you take me on whatever journey you wanna take, take me on. I'm giving up the Barbie Playhouse for Cinderella's Castle, because I believe that you've got greater. And I believe in this moment, if you'll step through that spiritual door, that you will hear God in the still small voice of your heart whisper the same words that Ross heard that day. I love you, daughter. I've always loved you. I've got better for you. I've got it all figured out if you'll follow me. And no, I'm not gonna give you the floodlight because then you wouldn't need me anymore, but I'm gonna give you a lamp to your feet and I'm gonna hold your hand and I'm gonna take you one step at a time. And we're gonna go on this relationship journey together because if you're anything like me, you're gonna realize in this moment before we dismiss this service that the greatest gift isn't the destiny. It's the journey on the destination with your heavenly father. And what my kids are, are gonna remember most when they look back isn't Disney Springs, it's gonna be their dad lovingly looking them in their eyes saying, come on kids, let's go. 
And some of us are so fixated on the destination that we've completely aborted the greatest relationship in our life. It's the God who says, take me by the hand and let's take it one step at a time. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.